Uh, I'll tell you what, um, those are, that's our high school worship band. Um, what an outstanding job they did, didn't they? Let's give them another. It's exciting to know that our high school students have, had every, have that every week. Um, you know, people talk about the students being the church of tomorrow, but if they're not a part of the church of today, they will not be a part of the church of tomorrow. So it's exciting to have them leading worship this morning. You know, change is hard. Change is, is really hard. It's especially hard for those who have lived a certain way all their lives. Um, with God's help, people can change, but it's, it's difficult. Um, it's not easy. Instead of, instead of following God's pattern or doing what God would have us to do and changing, we hold the old patterns and consistently lead ourselves into trouble. In the book of Jeremiah, we find the people of God basically doing the same thing. They're falling into the same problems over and over and over again. And now because of their choices, they're facing impending judgment. God is going to judge them. The Babylonians were growing in power, and most people could see that it was just a matter of time before the walls of Israel fell. It was a real threat. 150 years before, the Assyrians had basically taken care of or finished off their brothers in the northern kingdom. So it was a real threat. They destroyed their cities. They took the people from their homes uh, and they brought in people from other nations to replace them. So there, this threat was, it was real. And it was the, in the midst of this threat that Jeremiah spoke to God's people. Jeremiah began by painting a really clear picture of the reason why Judah and Israel was, was, were, in, they were in this mess in the first place. He was painting a picture for them of how they got into trouble, how they got themselves into this mess. He said the trouble came because they walked out on their relationship with God. They walked out on their relationship with God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, we read this. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done this, that she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her on her way because of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and wood. Israel and Judah had turned to other gods and basically were living the way they wanted to live. They had turned to other gods. They're living their, the way they wanted to live. They're basically, uh, they're basically giving God, you know, lip service. You know, they knew they were the people of God and that they were just basically giving God lip service. In verse 10, this, this verse really says a lot. It says, Judah did not return to me in her heart, but only in pretense. Only in pretense. That really hit me as I was studying it this week. Pretense means false or deceptive actions or uh, appearances. See, God knows the difference between people who desire to have a relationship with him in their hearts and people who are just kind of going through the religious motions. You know, you come to church, you kind of go through the motions, not just here at Grace Chapel, all over the country, all over the world. God knows the difference between people who truly have a desire to have a relationship with him and people who are just, you know, pretentious. They're just going through the motions, the religious motions, if you will. 
The question is, where are you this morning in all of that? Where am I? Are we just going through the motions with God? Are it just the pretense? Or, or is there a serious desire for a relationship with him? Because God knows the difference. He knows the difference. You know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to, to realize that the people of God were, were, were kind of exhibiting this sort of behavior um, in the past, that, that they were going through this over and over. This kind of thing happened to the people of God consistently. Years before in Egypt, the Israelites are freed from oppression. They're freed, they're freed from slavery. And, and they begin to whine and complain of how God, through Moses, led them out of Egypt into the desert to die and to starve. I mean, the, the history is, all, is laid out. He led them into the desert to, to die and to starve. You know, you would think that after God, what he did in, in, in Egypt with the plagues and all the miracles, that you wouldn't get this. But in, 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 uh, in Exodus chapter, chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, it says this. They said to Moses, was it not because there, were, because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you when we were in Egypt, leave us alone, let, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. Okay, now they said that right before, and they, they, the pillar of fire, and you have them going through the Red Sea, and, and you know, the Egyptians are coming, and all of a sudden they go, why are you Moses? What is the problem? Didn't we say, they see him coming in their first reaction, didn't we say we should just stay in Egypt? What is your problem? Didn't you listen to us? We were fine there serving. We were fine in slavery. Everything was good until you showed up and tried to set us free. And so they go through that, and obviously the, the water, the sea comes in, destroys the Egyptians, and, and you think, well, that would, see, that would do it. That would do it. You know, you remember your history. That would do it. Only a few, not, not very long ago, you saw this actually happen. God saves them from the Egyptians, but then only a few chapters later, in chapter 16, we read this. In the desert, the whole, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I don't see how you can put up with these people. I mean, it's like, you know, all this sort of stuff is like, and I love people who rewrite history. The grass was greener back when, the good old days, the good old days in Egypt when we were beaten and we, you know, we were in slavery. But you know what? All I remember is sitting around having pots of meat to eat. Boy, it was great. Singing songs and having fun with the Egyptians. And see what you've done to us? You brought us out here, no pots of meat to eat. We're gonna, you're going to starve the whole stinking assembly out here in the desert. What's wrong with you? And of course, God provides. Remember what happens after that? After he provides everything? Remember what happens after that? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, right? His good old brother Aaron and the people of God, they look at their watches and go, gee, he's been gone for a long time. I know what we should do. Let's get all, our, get all the gold together. Let's build a golden calf and let's worship the golden calf. Wow. Unbelievable. Time after time after time, the Old Testament portrays a repeated cycle of failure, 
a repeated cycle of failure. Failure. They, they would be, there would be a time of peace. There would be a time where God would restore them, and there would be there would be praising, and there would be worship. But then they would they were their minds would drift away from God. They would lose sight of God, and they would begin to worship other gods. They begin to worship other things. God does something for you. He does something for me. And boy, it's praise God. We're getting the chills. And it's amazing how he worked. A year later, it's, we've forgotten about that. And money seems more important. Or this seems more important. Or that seems more important. It kind of fades that whole feeling. That whole, that whole rem, the rem, the, 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 you don't remember how God truly worked in your life to spare you. I have people that are close to me that God, they said, God, if you just heal me. God, if you just heal me, I will, I, I will serve you. I will, I, will, I will commit to going to church every day of my life. And miraculously, they're healed. And for, even for a few years, boy, they're and all of a sudden, something goes wrong. Something happens in church or something, whatever. And all of a sudden, it's, they fade off. They forget about God. See, they were unfaithful to God. And they were unfaithful to each other. And, and then they started, they, started, they started oppressing the poor. You see, if you think about it, you're unfaithful to God. You're unfaithful to each other. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. So they have that, and when they're living that way, transformation in their lives. But all of a sudden, they start to not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, not love their neighbor as their self, and what is the result of that oppression of the poor, the widow, and the orphan? And if you look at the Old Testament, you're going to see something. You're going to see how God, God restores them, there's praising, and then when they start to drift away from God, it happens over and over again. They start to oppress. They start to oppress the poor, those who are weaker, the orphans and widows. They start taking advantage of those who they once reached out to and showed love and compassion. Because when you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, your, your life is balanced your life is good spiritually, and you, you understand what you need to do, reaching out to those who are in need. But when you're not like that, you can care less about everybody else. And all of a sudden, you start to do and say things that you normally wouldn't do and say, and your life begins to crumble. And the prophets were again and again and again speaking out against their continued unfaithfulness. Prophets would come in and warn them of impending doom and warn them. God's people seemed to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over. They were stuck in a rut. They were stuck in a rut. They, they couldn't remember their history. They couldn't remember the past. They didn't learn from the, the history of the past. You know, I heard, I heard a quote from someone. Um, he said that, that the only difference between a, a rut in the gr- and the grave is their dimensions. The only difference between a rut and a grave are their dimensions. That's true. That's true. Because if you're living this life in a rut, you're in a spiritual rut, you're just basically living a mediocre Christian life, there's no passion to do what God has called you to do, you're just kind of going through the motions, then you're in a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is their dimensions. It seems that the Israelites were, were unwilling to change. They had a hard time realizing that the change that God wanted them to make in their lives were, up, were to their best interest. It was, it was to their best interest to, to fulfill what God had called them to do, to make the change they needed to make when they were living that way. God even says, he says, you know, I, they did it. They went out and committed adultery against me. I mean, basically worshiping stones and wood and everything else they could worship. 
but I thought they would turn back to me. I thought they would change. And God knows, obviously. God knows. But God's desire is always to see change in people's lives. God's desire is always to offer that forgiveness when he sees change. That's God's desire. But they didn't change. They didn't remember their history. They didn't change. They continued in the same pattern, in the same pattern. Think about it. Not even exile and judgment and destruction and death could bring them to change. The threat of that. Not only the threat of exile and judgment and, and death, it, couldn't, it didn't bring them to a point of change. It's amazing. You think if, if you knew that was coming, you'd be changing. They just couldn't seem to make the kind of changes that lasted in their lives. Remind you of anyone? Change is hard. And for some people, it seems almost impossible. You talk about change, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't even want to, I'm not going to get up and leave because it, lo- it would look rude and I'd look awkward. But I, you know, I've, been, I've tried to change so many times. The last thing I want to hear is another sermon on change because I just can't seem to, to bring it about. Even though I have the history in my life and, and I, I know if I don't change, this is going to happen. I just can't seem to do it. They couldn't seem to make the kind of change that lasted. Change is hard. We can can look at the Israelites in this and say, you know what? What is wrong with these people? If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for more than a couple years and you've been in church and anyone's ever read the Old Testament, you as a Christian at some point in your mind said, what on earth is wrong with these people? They see the plagues, they see this, they go through the pillar of fire, they go, you know, the sea parts is manna and all this stuff. And every time, you know, they're about to go in the promised land. After all that, Joshua and Caleb, and they're going to go in and there's 12 leaders and 10 of them are like, what are you, crazy? We can't, we can't take these people on. They're bigger than we are. We feel like grasshoppers. You know, who's I, and it's always, whose idea was this anyway? And they grumble against them. And after a while, you know, God's basically, God does say, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. None of you will see the promised land. Your children will, but you won't. But we think sometimes, my goodness, what is wrong with these people? You know, but before we get that in our minds and we start to think, we start to feel too comfortable with ourselves, we need to pull the plank out of our own eye. I know I do. Change is hard for everyone. Change is hard for, no matter who you are, change is hard for everyone. I I mean, think for a moment about the typical church. Just the, the typical church. How responsive is the average church in America to change? Have you ever tried, have you ever been in a church where they try to change the music style in the church? Have you ever been there? That's probably why you're here. Um, <laughs> you're not going to put up with that, you know what I mean? We've done it this way for the, you know, since whatever. You ever try to kill a sacred cow in a church that's been around for a while? I don't care. They, they, you, you try, they, they, there's four people in the meeting. They all look like death warmed over. No one cares anything. You're putting a lot of money into it. And someone, someone squeaks up in a meeting. Maybe we shouldn't do that. What are you talking about? We've always done it that way. My grandfather's grandfather started that program back in 1872, and we're going to do it now. We're going to keep doing it. Kill that sacred cow. What are you, joking? Churches don't like to change. Oh, boy. Change is no good. Then we think, okay, well, what about, what, that's church, but what about business? If, if the church would be like a business, you know what about businesses? Businesses that will not adapt and change will die. In this environment that we're living in right now in 2009 and 2010, if business, businesses that will not adapt to the environment, the changing environment, if they won't change, 
to adapt to the environment that they're in, they're going to die. You see it all around you. Places that have done it, we've always done it that way. And now we don't do it at all because we're out of business. They refuse to change. People who refuse to change, business that refuse to change or adapt over time will die. What about personal change? Are you willing to change the, 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 the areas of your, of, of your life that are weak? Are you willing to change in, in, in weak areas of your life? Basically, talking about sinful patterns or uh, uh, you know, personality faults. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's negative addictions. You know, I love it, love it sometimes when, when you're at a family gathering. Like we've all been through family gatherings recently. And there's just that one person who comes to dinner. And, and it's like, oh, that's just whatever. And someone has the courage to actually point out the big giant elephant in the room. And you say to the person, you know, when you do that, when you say things like that or you do things, that really hurts the other person. And the person responds that they're a Christian many times. That's just the way God made me. And they, they maybe get a tear too. That's just, I can't believe you don't. God accepts me. I don't see why you don't. Just like torture you all to pieces and ruin your holidays. God made me this way. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You're obnoxious. God didn't make you that way. Yeah, come on, let's just be honest. You're rude. You're so rude. God said in heaven when you came by and he was making you and forming you in your mother's womb. Oh, boy, I'm going to make this person obnoxious and rude. They're going to say things without any thought to how anybody else feels. Um, they're always going to have a puss on their face. And, uh, and yes, that's how I'm going to make them. And then, and then that's how he made them. And every time they're rude and obnoxious to anybody, he's like, oh, good, good, good. They're doing exactly what I called them to do. I'm just glorified by them. And God gets a tear in his face. That's not happening. That's not happening. Are we willing? Are you and I? Let's, let's get personal about this. You know, easy to talk about the Israelites and, you know, Israel and Judah and all this kind of thing. Let's talk about you and me, businesses, churches, how about individuals? Are we willing to change your addictive behaviors? Are you willing to change those? They're hard to change. Personality flaws, hard to change. They're all hard to change. Sinful patterns in your life, extremely hard to change. But God is warning us. He warns us in a word if we continue to exhibit those kinds of behaviors that ultimately our lives are going to come apart. Things are, our relationships are going to be ruined. But are we willing to make those changes? You know, Bruce Barton wrote, when you're through changing, you're through. I love that. Easy to remember. When you're through changing, you're through. If you're a Christian and you say, well, you know, I've grown as much as I need to grow. That little area over here, I'm pretty good there. When you quit changing, when you're done changing, when you're through changing, you're through. You're through. The goal of each Christian is to wake up one person in the morning and go to bed that night a different person, more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which means we need to change every single day. We need to be asking ourselves, God, how can I become more like your son, Jesus Christ? It's not to pick on any one of us. We're all sinners saved by grace. All of us have personality flaws. All of us are obnoxious in some ways to other people. All of us have things in our lives that we need to change. It's, it's, it's the nature of who we are. We are sinners. We need to change. And God is saying, I want to bring about that change in your life. People don't like to change. They don't even want to hear about change. Even when it's a matter of life and death. And that it's not just a figure of speech. Even when it's a matter of life and death, how many times do you know of people who have been warned by their doctors to change their habits? 
They go to the doctor, doctor, blah, 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 blah. You, you know why? You need to so-and-so and such-and-such. They're told if they change now that they're going to live a happier, healthier, more fulfilling life. Things will be different. They'll live longer. But if they continue to go down the same road without changing their lifestyle, without changing their lifestyle, they're going to end their lives sooner, sooner rather than later. And so we sit back and we think about that, but you know what? A lot of times that does nothing. It doesn't change anything. We don't change a thing. We like to think that we would drop. We would drop everything and change if it really mattered. Because, you know, what is the doctor? You know, my whatever, you know, he doesn't know that much. And so we, we, we like to think in our minds, though, but if, if I were, you know, in, in the situation where, like, the, in the people of God, I would have made a change then. We like to think that if, if it really mattered, if it really mattered, that that would really, that would really make us change. How many times have you been on the brink of doom in physically, for example, and not changed anything. Well, some of you are saying, well, I've never been on the brink of, of destruction or doom when it comes to physical. How about, how about relationally? How many times have you been on the brink of destruction relationally? And the person's saying to you, you, you really need to change these areas of your life. I can't take this anymore. You really need to, and it's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't really make the effort to change. You're just hoping somehow by osmosis the other person's going to change or something, and it's going to be okay. But you're, you, you're being warned. There's a, there's, a, there's a relational warning going on. But it'll all work out. It'll, it'll all work out. You would think that if people who are faced with a choice to change or die would be motivated to get it done. If you're, choice, if you're, if you're laid down the choice, change or die, they'd be motivated to get it done, but yet studies show the complete opposite. It's absolutely amazing. Amazing. Studies show the opposite of that. A good example of a people who have gone through like bypass surgery or, or, or some kind of heart surgery. Bypass surgery is usually kind of a life and, life and death decision. It's a life and death matter. So patients are directed by their physicians to alter their lifestyle in some way. Whether it's, you know, you need to change your, your eating habits or you, you need to stop smoking if you're smoking or you need to get an exercise routine. If you're not exercising, you need to start exercising. And so the doctor kind of lays all that out. It, they, they know if they don't, make these changes, they're going to die sooner rather than later. But, but many, many studies show that within two years of that surgery or that warning, two, within two years, 90% of the people have made no significant changes in their lives. 90%. Life or death. Make the change. 90%. No significant changes in their behavior. Change is hard. It's difficult for everyone. Some more than others, but it's difficult. So if, if imminent death can't force us to, to change, what, what is it going to take? I mean, if imminent death will, is, is, is not the force that will help us change, what's it, are we a lost cause? I mean, think about it. Are, are we just a lost cause? Are we just doomed to failure? Yes. Happy New Year. Let's pray. Father God, <laughs> and next week I'll tell you how to change. No, no, no. I mean, no, we can change. It can happen. I mean, transformation is what God is all about. God loves change. He loves to see his people change. Change can happen. It's, it's not impossible. It can be done. So how can we do it? 
Well, the answer lies in understanding the nature of change itself. The nature of change itself. A large part of the problem is that we view change as something that we do. It's all about what I can do. It's all about externally me and what I'm able to do, what my willpower, pull myself up by my bootstraps. We see it as an effort on our part to alter, uh, alter a list of habits and behaviors in our lives. If we get, we get that list down and we need, if we need to alter this and we can, we can do this and we can change that and I have the power to, and therein lies the problem. That's a large part of the problem. For example, when we are faced with something life-threatening, what we like to do in our culture, this is most of us, we like to get all the information, get online, get the information. We get all the information, we find out what this disease is, is going to do to us. And then, we, and then we go and we figure out what does it say about the best diet? What does it say about exercise? And we, and we do those things and we, 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 we kind of put them in our lives. But then what happens over time? Statistically, over two years, what happens? We fall back into the same habits that we were in before. It just slowly fades away. You know, we do it for a little while and you're feeling fine. You don't need to get up and early, that early and do this. And what's a couple extra cookies and whatever the doctor told you not to eat? And, you know, just a little bit. And before you know it, you're back into your old habits. I talk with people all the time, all the time, who get into difficult situations and they become paralyzed by their difficult situations. And so they, they don't do anything. They choose to do nothing. They become paralyzed. They, they can't decide. And so they choose to do nothing. And what happens? When the world is caving in on you, you have all these things, and you get paralyzed, and you do nothing, things don't get better. They get worse, and it gets even heaped more on your shoulders. But that's the way a lot of people function. I talk to people all the time who function that way, and I understand why they do. It just becomes overwhelming, and sometimes they don't have the skills necessary to walk through the difficulties in their life. But that's what the body of Christ is all about, seeking people out. There are people in this church that you're, you could be, you're, could be crumbling in 90 different directions, and you sit down with someone in this church, people that I could, I could point you to, and they will help you compartmentalize those things, and they will help you work through those things. You may feel so overwhelmed that you just seriously... You, you, don't, you can't take it anymore. You know what? Don't try to take it on yourself anymore. File, get around people in the body of Christ who can sit down with you and help you do some things that you can't do. But people are paralyzed by this. So, if it's, so it seems that, that behavior modification and fear are not the best motivators to bring about change. That's what I'm seeing. Behavior modification and fear are not the best motivators to bring about change. So what's it going to take to change? That's the question. When Deb and I were in youth ministry a long time ago now, we learned something very quickly in youth ministry. Intrinsic motivation works. Extrinsic motivation doesn't. Intrinsic motivation works. Extrinsic motivation doesn't. I, in the very beginning of my youth ministry life, I would get up in front of those students and, and I, would, I would think, man, maybe, you know, it seems these kids are a little too friendly and I hear stories and everything and I would get up and talk about the, you know, don't have sex before you get married. And I'd give the statistics and I'd talk about STDs and I'd tell stories and, and I would explain and I'd let them know and, I, and don't get drunk and here's why you shouldn't because you can choke on your own vomit. And I laid all these things out and all the people I knew that had that happened to them and they're all true stories and they're horrifying stories and the students would be 
like glass. Their eyes would be like this big and their hair would be blown back and they'd be, they'd walk out going, I'm never going to have sex ever. Even when I'm married, I'm never going to touch any alcohol as long as I live. You know, <laughs> like they'd be stunned. For about two weeks, they'd be stunned. Their hair would come back down. Their eyes would close a little bit. And my incredible motivational speech only lasted for two or three weeks. But you know what? When they were internally motivated by their relationship with Jesus Christ, it lasted, it lasted, period. When they decided not to do some of those things that would be harmful to their lives based upon their relationship with Jesus Christ, not based upon what might happen, their lives were changed. When their life was strengthened and their relationship was strengthened in Christ, the things that I spoke into their lives, into their hearts, they received, and it was consistent. And the change lasted. It lasted. Transformation takes place when we change our way of thinking. If you want to ch- help someone change, if you truly want to help someone change their behavior, you need to help them see things from a different perspective. You need to help them see things in a whole new way. You need to help them write a new life story. You need to help them understand their identity, what their true identity is. You need to help them see a vision of what life could be for them. Notice what all those things pretty much are. They're internal. I love our vision. We are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. Awakening imagination starts in the mind and the heart. Igniting passion is in the mind and the heart. And then unleashing your purpose. You can't unleash your purpose until you ignite your passion. Until until your mind is, you start thinking in a new way. You, You come to church and you're just like going through the motions and all of a sudden God begins to speak to your heart. God starts to speak to your mind and you, you get passionate about something. And you, you know, you, there's, there's, there's a, your mind is opened up. You're seeing things from a different perspective and you realize who you truly are in Christ. Your identity is exposed for who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden you start to get passionate about something. And then all of a sudden you start to act on that passion and your purpose is unleashed in the world. And you realize, wow, I'm a changed person. I'm a changed person. Because information plus application equals transformation. In the mind and the heart, it expresses itself in your changed life by transforming the lives of others as well. In Jeremiah 31, we see how God, through Jeremiah, he reframes the experience. He reframes the experience of a people who consistently rejected, who consistently, consistently rejected change. They wouldn't do it. But God then reframes the experience because of their resistance, their reluctance. God's not asking them to live by another set of rules. In this covenant that he's laying out in Jeremiah 31, he's not asking them to live by another set of rules. He's he's wanting them to change their way of thinking and their way of being. It's internal. Throughout Israel's history, God offered his people various covenants. God had a covenant with Abraham based on a promise. God had a covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai based on his deliverance. And then in Jeremiah, God, God has a, a, a new kind of, a different kind of covenant based totally on an act of forgiveness. 
It's amazing when you read this. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 32 through 34, it says, It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. One commentator put it this way, the act of forgiveness will break into their spirits in a wholly new way. They will, they, they will know themselves as an extraordinarily loved and forgiven people that will change them inside and make them respond to Yahweh in a way they never have before. God reframes the entire picture. God reframes the picture saying, I will put the law, my law in their minds. I will write my law in their hearts. They will become my people. I will become their God. Notice how God desires to bring about change. Notice in this, right here in the word of God, how God desires to bring about change. Change is to be motivated internally. This change, this transformation is to be brought about internally. It will be placed within their hearts. It will be, it will be, it will be a part of them connecting, connecting their, their emotions and their hopes, connecting their emotions and their hopes and their dreams. It will be a part of them. God desires to change us from the inside out, from the inside out. God was, was, God was not just renewing a covenant. He was reframing a relationship. God was reframing the relationship, moving them from commandments and rules to a whole new way of thinking and being. God wasn't changing the commandments. Don't get me wrong. Don't anyone get me wrong. God wasn't changing the commandments, but he was changing the way we respond to them. There's the difference. God wasn't changing his commandments. They're still there today. But God was changing the way that we respond to them. God was offering his people an opportunity to change. He was offering that opportunity to change, moving them from, listen, moving them from a corporate pattern of failure to a one-on-one relationship of responsibility and forgiveness. I love that. He looked at history. I mean, God understands us. And he reframes, he refla- reframes that relationship. The problem is so many of us are still working on the old way of thinking. We're still stuck in the the same old way of seeing things. We're we're trying to modify our behavior. We're trying to we're trying to follow the rules and we we gather we gather up all the information. We gather up all the information and then and then we 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 look for that that latest spiritual trend that's out there. What's the latest spiritual trend? I haven't changed 8 years ago and it didn't change me 4 years ago and it didn't change me 2 years ago, but you know what? This is my pattern. I'm going to hold on to these rules and these all these behavior modifications and I'm going to find this new and exciting way of the spiritual whatever. And so you jump on that bandwagon and then you get the hottest book that's out or whatever and you you go through that so you you gather the information, you jump on the bandwagon, you read the book and you try to change through your own power 
You and I try to change through our own power, but nothing seems to last. Nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to bring about the change that we really want to see in our lives that will help us become the people that God created us to be, that will help us overcome our past, that will help us overcome our personality flaws, that will help us overcome all those things, whether you're the oldest or the youngest here today, that will help you overcome those things. They don't seem to work because they're all about what I can do and how I can invest and how I can perhaps it's time to embrace a new story, a story that God has been wanting, to us, wanting, to, wanting to, uh, us to embrace all along. Perhaps it's time to change our minds and to realize that our relationship with God is not based on a set of rules. Our relationship with God is instead based on an extraordinary act of forgiveness. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I am under grace. I live under grace. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you live under grace. You, my friends, are a people belonging to God, and that gives each one of us the power to start over again and again and again. It gives us the power to start over again and again and again. He changes my heart, which changes my behavior. There's a difference there. I can't just change my behavior. I need to change my heart. It needs to be internal. So God gives us through his grace the ability to start over again and again and again because my goodness, that's how long it takes for us because we're, hey, McFly, you know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. We're under grace. We're not under law. So we have the freedom to start over again and again and again. And as God changes our hearts over time, we change our behavior. There's transformation. Let me give you an example, another example of this. If you have a really bad temper, boy, you just have the worst temper, and you fill in the blank for whatever it is for you, all right? And so what you do is you have this temper, and so you say, I am, I have had, I'm not going to ever do this again. I'm never going to do this again. The next time, uh, and you, and you, when it comes, you fail. And then you say to yourself, I'm going to pull myself in my own bootstraps and I have the willpower and I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to read this and do that. And you, and, and, and you fail. And you fail and you fail and you give up because you tried and you tried and you tried and nothing works. And so you just give up. And you say things like, see, Christianity doesn't work. It didn't work for me. It doesn't work. Instead, what you should do is when that temper, before that temper flares up, you ask God to help you. God, help me with this. Help change my heart. God, help change my way of thinking. Work in my heart. Help me to see the things that are causing me to lash out this way. And then you, and you, do, you do a decent job, but then you fail. But you know what? You repent, and God forgives you because you're under grace. You say, God, forgive me. You get down on your knees. You say, God, I screwed up again. I mean, how many times are you going to put up with me? I mean, yesterday I said I would never do this again, and then by nightfall of the next day, I screw up again. God, how can you put up with me? You can put up with you by grace. And so you get back up and you say, God, help me to change. I can't continue to live this way. And, and, And God helps you. And you get a little further down the road, and you know what? You fail again, but you know what? You ask for forgiveness. You repent, and God forgives you. And God forgives you. And you keep walking forward and God keeps forgiving you. And over a period of time, you change. God brings about a change in your heart. You don't give up. You don't feel condemned. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Here's the difference. And you've got to get this one down. When you feel condemned, that's of Satan. When you feel convicted, that's of the Holy Spirit. 
When you feel condemned, that's your feeling. You feel condemned. Let's put that aside. Let your feelings catch up to you. Reality is, as Christians, when we feel convicted, we get on our knees and say, God, forgive me. When we feel convicted and the Holy Spirit gives us forgiveness, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we get back up, God brushes us off, and we start again. And then when we, we fail again, we get back on our knees, ask God to forgive us because the Holy Spirit convicted us that we failed. He forgives us and we move on. And darn it, I'm telling you, what you need to do is you need to keep walking and let your feelings catch up to you. Your feelings don't matter in this, in this situation. If you've repented, God has forgiven you. I don't care how you feel. The reality is you're forgiven. Move forward because condemnation will keep you stuck in the mud and that's where you fail completely. You are people who are saved by grace. You are not under law, you're under grace. And forgiveness allows us the ability to continue to change our lives. Jeremiah, what Jeremiah preached Jesus fulfilled. I want you to get your pens out for me. Get out your pen. Get out of your, your bulletin or whatever else. Take your Bible out. I want you to open up to, to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. One of your, this will become one of your favorite verses. It is one of mine. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I want you to underline this. I want you to write it down if you don't have your Bible. To go home and underline it in your Bible. I love this. Here's what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin leave, right? I, I write this to you so you will not sin. That's law. I write this to you so you will not sin. So that, that's it. Okay, now you're dismissed. Go. No, it's not where it ends. I write this to you so you will not sin. So it, here's, here's the frustrating part about that. I could say, I write this to you so you will never use foul language again or use the Lord's name. I, I write this to you so you will not sin. So I'm telling you what the Bible says about using foul language. And, and if you ever do again, you're done, Right? So when you get in the car and your kids are acting up and you're trying to kill them from the, from the front seat and smacking them around the back seat, right? And you're losing your temper and you're finally cussing, Dad, you curse right after church. You're done. It's over. Right? It's over. You're all laughing because you know you did it like last week, you know? I, you're like, oh, that was a good sermon. Then you, you, you got in the car and your kids threw you all off balance and you sinned like a banshee. So... First John 1, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But, I love that word, but. But if anyone does sin, reality, okay? If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's grace. I tell you this so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have forgiveness. We live under grace. Oh, I love that. I'm sorry, but I absolutely love that because I'm a stinking sinner. I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. I love the fact that I can keep trying to change and over time, God's going to allow me the ability to change. I love that. In Christ, you have the power to change. You have the power to change because you're forgiven. You're forgiven when you try and you fall. You're forgiven. You're forgiven when you get back up from that and you step a few more feet and you fall again. You're forgiven when you take that leap and you come up a little short. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven for those things. He loves us so much. He loves us so much that if we keep trying, he will not let us fail. 
If we keep trying, God is so powerful and loves us so much that if we keep trying to bring about those changes, he will not let us fail. If you keep walking with Jesus, listen, this is a fact. This is an absolute positive fact of life. If you keep walking with Jesus Christ, change is inevitable. If you keep walking your relationship with Jesus Christ and not giving up and not depending on yourself for the change, if you keep walking in your relationship with Christ and growing in your relationship with Christ, change is inevitable. It is inevitable. That, my friends, is freedom in Christ, and that is what's called freedom to change. That is freedom in Jesus Christ and the freedom to change. God calls us to live irresistibly transformed lives and to lead others to do the same. God calls us. He calls us to to live beyond ourselves, to not be caught up in who we are now, but to believe who we can become. He calls us to live beyond ourselves. He is calling us to a new way of thinking and a new way of being, a way that will transform us from the inside out. That's what God is calling us to a new way of thinking, a new way of being that will transform us from the inside out. Starting January 17th, which is two weeks from now, we're going to begin a new series called Inside Out. And then on Wednesday nights, starting that week on Wednesday nights, we're going to come together at 6.30 for a time of even deeper connection and deeper growth. We're not just going to talk about it on Sunday mornings, just like we did with our last series. We're going to come together on Sunday mornings, but we're not, we're, you know, you need to get specific with yourself. What areas of your life do you need to change? You need to get specific because nothing dynamic will happen unless you get specific. So we're going to come together and we're going to work together on how we can change our lives, what it will take to change our lives, to grow deeper in love with God and see those dramatic changes. God wants to change your life. And we'll help each other change. We're going to help each other change from the inside out. Father, we do desire in our hearts more than anything else to change from the inside out. That can only happen through your power, not through our own. As you work in our hearts and you speak to our minds, Lord God, we pray that you would truly change every single one of us as we go into this new year. Father, you would speak to our hearts. Lord God, if there's places in our lives where we need to lay aside the sin that is keeping us from that change, may the conviction of your Holy Spirit truly work in our lives that repentance will bring about change. Father, if there's areas of our personalities that we need to change, if it's it's addictive behaviors that we need to change, whatever it is, Lord God, that we ask for your power working in and through us to bring about that change. May we come together as a body, one, helping each other, not judging each other, but helping each other become the people that you've created us to be so that we can rejoice in the transformation we see in each of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' precious, precious name. We love you so much, God. Thank you for helping us change. Amen. Have a great week.